Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on the album The Horror and the Wild by The Amazing Devil and On Writing by Stephen King. Warning, spoilers ahead. So this is episode, what episode are we on? Seven? I want to say seven. That sounds right. We've been doing this for a while now. This is exciting. Has it been two months yet, do you think? Mm, I can't remember. I, I mean, we've been doing it every week, so I guess it's been seven weeks. Yeah, so next week should be our two-month anniversary. Woo! Yay! Um, How do you feel? I feel really good about it. Um, this is definitely the highlight of my week. How was your week last week? Um, it was good. I took a trip on the train. Two weekends in a row, I took a long train trip, mm-hmm. so I haven't had a lot of downtime, mm. which I'm looking forward to this coming weekend yeah. just to recharge a little bit. I need quiet alone time to restore my energy, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> That's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, But it was good. I traveled to Virginia because my brother was proposing to his girlfriend. And so um, my family went and her family was already there. That's where she hails Uh, from. So we went to her her hometown and her childhood home Uh and watched them get engaged and then had a party after. And so that was nice. Was it a surprise? To her, yes. Okay. But it was like a long running joke that he was taking forever to do this and she was impatient for it to happen. (laughs) So she wasn't, you know taken off guard or anything like that (laughs) yeah yeah I think that was like a conversation that my partner and I had was whether or not I wanted to be surprised or not and I absolutely did Mm -hmm. not I need to be Mm -hmm. mentally prepared for this event um and I absolutely did not want anyone there I know I was like why am I here (laughs) (laughs) this is private Was it cute, though? Yeah, it was good. They were fishing at a lake Uh. because it was my brother's birthday weekend. And so as a ruse, he requested to go fishing and had the (laughs) ring in his tackle box. I think the original plan was for him to put it on her fishing line, but I don't think it got that elaborate. I Uh. think he just waited for her to be distracted and then took it out of the tackle box. Uh, That's cute. Mm -hmm. That's so good for them. I'm glad that you got to spend time with family, too. I'm sure that was really nice. Yeah, They were really stoked that me and my partner were able to be there for the event. My mom is obsessed with my husband. (laughs) She just raves about him (laughs) all the time. That's so cute. It's like any holiday that I show up to without him, it's like instantly (laughs) ruined. (laughs) Oh, no. I guess that's, that's better than her hating him, right? Yeah. I know. It's good. It's good. It's really oh, funny. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sounds like we had good weeks. Yeah. Look at us. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I'm going kayaking with one of my friends here. I love kayaking. That'll be fun. Get some social time out in the sun. It's been extremely cloudy and rainy here this week. So Yuck. I am looking forward to the sun giving me back my serotonin. Should we jump in? I think you are first this week, correct? Yes, I think so. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about choosing this album. It is titled The Wild and the Horror, and it is by a band called The Amazing Devil. This album came out in 2020, and I recently stumbled upon it. One of the songs was on a playlist I was listening to, and so one thing to note is that I don't know much about music at all. I am not going to use terms that a person that knows things mm -hmm. about music would use. Um, but it's a storytelling album. It's not telling a cohesive story, like from song to song, but each song kind of either has some kind of narrative or is it's very poetic in a way that mm -hmm. a lot of music that I listened to isn't. And I was very taken by it. So I discovered it last weekend and I've listened to it at least once a day this week, which I never do with albums. So I've been really, really enjoying it. Um, so its general vibe is gothic folk hmm. is how people have described it. And it, it combines a lot of like old fashioned language. Um, for example, one of the songs uses the term... Um, I make sure the bairns are fed and bairns is an old word for children. Um, really? Mm -hmm. And so in that way, it kind of makes me feel like this is very bardic. It's very, um, uh, it's just like telling me a story with its language and it's very poetic in that way. But then it's combining very modern concepts of relationships and life you know um so in one of the songs fair one of the characters in the song is talking about how they're just trying to watch the office or in mm -hmm. battle cry they're talking about the concept of a season finale like mm -hmm. it's describing this end to a relationship and they say um I'm going to drink wine and binge watch a box set. And this is our season finale, basically. And mm -hmm. so it's like a very interesting combination of like old concepts with new concepts of relationships. Um, and it's not specific to romantic relationships, which I do like. Um, there is the song called Welly Boots, I think. Mm hmm. And it is more of a story about a parent seeing their child grow up um, from some vantage point where they cannot help or support their child. So the way I interpret it is like parental death. Um, and it's like this child grieving the loss of this parent and the parent 
watching this child grieve and not be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that song just like absolutely had me in tears when I listened, like sat down and listened to it and processed it. Um, so the range on this album in terms of content um, specifically is very wide. And I feel a lot of things when I listen to it, which I think is why I liked it so much. And I really enjoyed. So I guess one song that kind of shows this emotional complexity that the album is getting at is a song called Wild Blue Yonder. And this track focuses on the story of a couple kind of deciding to end their relationship. But in deciding to end their relationship, it rekindles these emotions of passion and fear of going back into the world without this person. And it kind of ends up circling back around to them deciding to stay together in my mind. That's like how I interpret it. It almost reminds me of like Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. That album talks about complex relationships in a way that a lot of music doesn't try to. When you're listening to the radio, most music has one emotional tone, right? So there's longing, there's sadness, there's anger. But usually a song has one emotional tone. And in Mm -hmm. these songs, I feel like I can pinpoint multiple emotional tones in every single one, um, which Mm -hmm. I really like. And uh, yeah, I think that it like ranges from things like mystery to more of a like true horror. There's a song called That Unwanted Animal. And that song really rides the line of like telling a scary story, but also while trying to talk about passion and love and something coming in between you and your partner. The way Mm -hmm. I interpret that song is... uh, partners trying to deal with some kind of inner demon. So that is like separating them. Yeah. It's really hard to talk about music. Is that why you were nervous to select an album as your piece of media this week? Yeah. And I also feel like I don't talk about music very much. I'm more willing to talk about books and movies and things like that because Music to me is such a emotional experience. Um, mm-hmm. And when someone doesn't like the music that you like recommend to them or whatever, it feels more personal to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really shy away from talking about the music that I like yeah. to people, for sure. And I don't know it's, what it is about that. Um, there's something more personal about it and or an expectation of a higher degree of judgment mm-hmm. assigned to musical preference. Yeah. Um, rather than, yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if it's like music people have such strong opinions that you're just mm. bracing for ridicule whenever you express a musical opinion or... If it is more like what you're describing, where it's so much of a more emotionally entangled media mm-hmm. that you feel like you're offering more information about yourself by 
talking about what you like. Definitely. I I guess one of the reasons that I chose this album specifically is I think it can be interpreted a lot of ways, which all music can be, but some music is more straightforward than others. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are definitely lyrics on this album that can speak to a lot of different people because it's more interpretive. And also there are certain songs, for example, Farewell Wanderlust, that I don't even really relate to at all but I find very intriguing and mysterious and a good story. And so in that sense, it's more like watching a movie and I feel more comfortable recommending a song like that because it's Hmm. not something I feel as close personally to. Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, it's definitely because music is a very personal and emotional aspect of myself that I just feel like more nervous about recommending it to people. Mm -hmm. What made you select the three that you sent to me? Um, So the three that I sent to you were Wild Blue Yonder, Farewell Wanderlust, and That Unwanted Animal, correct? I believe so. Yeah. So I find myself coming back to these songs the most on the album, and I think that's why I chose them. There's just like this draw to those three songs for me. I really like Wild Blue Yonder. I think it might be my favorite track on the album. They use these overlapping lyrics. So the male part, um, who is Joey Beatty, will sing one part. And Madeline Highland, who is the female counterpart, will sing the other and they will merge into the same lyric. And I think it is beautiful and catchy and just like really sticks in my head. Um, It makes it very entertaining to listen to, especially because you can listen to it multiple times and pick up on different parts of the lyrics because you're not hearing it necessarily the first time you listen. And you can follow each kind of character's story. That's also done in Farewell Wanderlust. It's not as um, noisy, though, I would say. It's not as much overlapping, but there are like distinct characters singing parts. Uh And I think that that's really fun and not something you see a ton. And I'm finding that I really like albums that tell stories with their songs. Yeah, from the three songs that you sent me, I, like, very readily identified that they were all, firstly, very vocal-centric. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the the instrumentation was almost, like, a small support element mm-hmm. for the vocal duet, yeah. basically. And so the vocals were very clear and front and center mm-hmm. and they were the main element of the song and they were driving the song. So yeah. it sounds like you are really drawn to lyrically heavy yes. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another example of an album that kind of does this, not in the same way, um, is Taylor Swift's more recent albums, Folklore and Evermore. They're very like story based 
songs and they're not like I also just like that unwanted animal just kind of it always gives me goosebumps when I listen to it. It just like has this air of intensity and intimacy and mystery. And I don't know, this album just made me feel a lot of things. And I think that's why I liked it so much. And I think the lyric heavy nature of it um, allows for that because it is just telling me a story and it's very effectively done. Another thing that I really like is that they use silence very well in the songs, instrumental silence, where the vocals truly become front and center because there is literally nothing else going on. Obviously, I'm really drawn to folk style music in general. That's like one of my main genres. I think the instrumental complexity of a lot of folk music is very interesting to me. Um, For example, this band has a lot of violin in it, and I love a violin. This album is the first album I've ever listened to that has that gothic feel. I, yeah, it's just not a common theme. I feel like the impression I got from the sample that I had Mm -hmm. was this seems like a type of music or an album that would really appeal to people that enjoy like the soundtracks from Broadway musicals because uh. the not just the fact that the vocals were really front and center mm-hmm. and the central part of each song, but mm-hmm. there was also a performative quality to yeah. the vocals in that there was like I could see if you told me this was a soundtrack from a musical I would have believed you mm-hmm. because it sounded like the people were acting yeah. along with singing do you know what I mean yeah absolutely um I didn't think of it that way but that's probably a reason that I'm very very drawn to this album in general mm-hmm. is because I do really love a musical but yeah I totally see what you're saying there's especially in um, Farewell Wanderlust, which basically describes this meeting of a man and a woman in a bar. They're strangers. They're having a conversation. is so dramatic. And yeah, there is like so much of an acting quality of that song where sometimes the vocals aren't even very pretty. Um Like they get very emotional and um, I really love um, Madeline Highland's voice in this song particularly because she has these extremely ethereal, clear, beautiful notes that she hits towards the end. But then she's also able to go into this very, very low alto that is able to carry so much emotion. Like I can feel it in my chest when she sings. I like that this is an album that makes me feel a lot of different things when I listen to it. Um, Yeah, it sounds like it covers a wide range of topics. Yeah. Is this band from the UK? It is. They are Londoners. And I was doing some Googling because I really wanted to find an interview 
of them talking about their experience making the album and like what kind of was the inspiration for it. Like I was really interested in seeing if something like that was out there. And unfortunately, I couldn't find anything of that nature. But Joey Baby actually plays, I do not know his name in the show, but he plays the bard character in The Witcher on Netflix. That's him? Yeah. (laughs) I know that character from the show. Get the fuck out. Yeah. um, I love that character. Which totally made sense when I found that out because this album gives me like bardic vibes and he wrote and composed this entire album. Kat, you have to watch that show now. I know. You love that guy. You would love that guy. I did watch a compilation of him being like, you know how for uh, for Our Flag Means Death there are like tons of compilations out there that are like... Naturally, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they have the same ones for this character and I was like, yes, I'm going to watch these. So... I got to see his like greatest hits, but I'm very excited about the show. Yeah, I don't know how I haven't watched it yet. I am like a huge fan of the video game. So now I'm We're like talking really about The Witcher, sold. right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm his name sure in the show his name in the show is not Dandelion. They gave right. him like a real name, but his name yes. in The Witcher is Dandelion. And in so, the video game. Yes. Or in the book. Uh I don't know about the book. I've not read the books. Interesting. Um, I liked it. I there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, characters, types that you and I enjoy, like yeah. the Witcher. Uh, what's his name? Geralt. Geralt. Yeah, Geralt. Yeah, he's great. Very gruff and taciturn. I love it. Love a character like that. The Bard, you'll fucking love The Bard. Like, I, I almost do. brought that up last week when uh-huh. I was talking about Roach, the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and about how you should watch the show just for The Bard. Yes. Uh, he's great. I yeah. hated Dandelion in the game. I thought he was annoying as hell. Yeah. I mean, Geralt thinks he's annoying as hell. Geralt. I, I don't know why I keep saying his name that way. <laughs> He's, I just call him the Witcher in my mind. But yeah, I'm really excited, especially because I know that he, he's a bard in the show. And so obviously there's going to be some of him singing and I'm very excited. Yeah, this is all coming together and making sense now. Yeah. Yeah, it fits the vibe. They also came out with a newer album called Ruin um, in 2021 that... I do like, um, but it's it just doesn't hit the same. It's very good, but it just doesn't have this like mysterious energy that I really like in this album. Not gothic enough? Yeah. Come on, more gothic folk. <laughs> I'm here for it. This is my genre now. I highly recommend listening through this album at least once. Um, it is only nine tracks long. You will listen to the first track and you will be like, this is the worst album in the whole world. Because the first track is just like this spoken word poem, a little bit of instrumentation behind it. And I don't like it. I never listen to it again. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that the 
next eight tracks are really where the meat is. And it's very, very good. (laughs) Oh, honorable mention for Marbles. There's a track called Marbles. It is an honorable mention. It is probably my fourth favorite track. One of the things that I love about this album is I think it is designed to show a range of growing up and growing old. Towards the end, you have Marbles and Battle Cry, which are about older people looking back at their life together. And I really love that because Marbles specifically is talking about growing older and not remembering things as um, clearly as you once did. But it's basically just this conversation between two people who clearly love each other and has been many years together and are just like reflecting on their lives. And I just think it's like so interesting to see that that emotional range too. Marbles has some of my favorite lyrics, definitely. Like my favorite like love song lyrics. Um, so good. The whole album's so good. It is streaming on Spotify. <laughs> you can stream it on Spotify. <laughs> um, but they also have a band camp where you can purchase the album. They are not like owned by a record company. So it's all independent music. So it, I think it costs like $12 to buy the album. If you want to purchase it to support these artists, it's definitely on my top five albums of all time. Wow. That's what I got. <laughs> I'm going to have fun editing this together later and trying to make what I said make sense. Um, but yeah, I think it just touches on so many different parts of life and the human experience. And I think it's something that everyone can find a little bit to relate to, at least. Right. right. So, yeah. but it sounds like if you really like uh, lyrics and songwriting, that there's a lot to dig into here. Definitely. So, yeah, that's what I've got. We'll see how it all ties together at the end. Oh, right. God, I always forget <laughs> until the end that we have to do the Venn diagram. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's only the central <laughs> core concept of the pod. <laughs> I just get really caught up in describing the things that we like. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we were talking the other week about how nice it is to just be able to talk about things that we love as like our mm-hmm. hobby. And that makes me really happy. Yeah, I think I texted you. I was like, I'm really glad we went with a concept that's so positive. Yeah. Because I really like thinking about things in a positive way mm-hmm. on my own time. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than coming to something knowing I have to be negative about something. You yeah, know what I mean? Definitely. I'm talking about a book this week. It's the book On Writing by Stephen King. Uh, you and I are both big Stephen King fans that's fair Mm -hmm. to say right yes I saw his main house did I tell you that did you yeah in person um I didn't like go inside but but I saw it from across uh a body of water when I went to visit really cool (laughs) yeah um that's awesome yeah the coastal house yeah you should have sent me a picture 
obviously most people know Stephen King has written, fuck, like a hundred books at least, and has had a really prolific career writing predominantly horror, but this is uh, a different book for him. The copyright for the copy I have is the year 2000, so it's been out for over 20 years now, which is great, and it's a book you know, you can tell from the title, it's on writing. It's about the writing process and his advice to writers for half of the book, but the other half of the book is a short memoir. And that's what kicks off the book, him talking about not just how he developed an interest in writing and how he nurtured that interest through you know, failure and rejection, but also just general background information about him growing up as a kid uh, in a bunch of different towns in the United States, uh, including several New England towns. And he sort of just gives you a number of vignettes of his uh, sparse recollections of childhood, which I Mm. really particularly liked. I really liked his childhood stories. They reminded me a lot, not just of some of my childhood recollections, but specifically they reminded me a lot of the stories my dad would tell my brother and I when we were younger Mm -hmm. about his childhood. He would have been a similar age to Stephen King. I think Stephen King was born nine or ten-ish years earlier, so Mm -hmm. they grew up around the same time and my dad was from New England as well mm-hmm. so I really liked um hearing those stories they there's a lot of crossover in my <laughs> mind with tales I heard uh as a kid so that was really enjoyable and I like this book for a number of reasons not just because I get to learn more about Stephen King as a person and understand what parts of his life were like, but I also think it's a really great, um, really short text on advice for writers. That's a topic I've been interested in for a long time, not just because I was interested in writing when I was younger, but also because that's something I've sort of come back around to in the past couple of years. Um, I don't know if I've talked about it on the pod yet, but I know that you know, Kat, that I've been trying to work on writing a book or a novel as a creative side project. That's (laughs) something you've been really encouraging about, which is great. (laughs) And I've been reading a lot of books about advice for writers or technical aspects of writing and storytelling Mm -hmm. and this is one of them and I like Stephen King's approach in his advice in the book because he from the outset tells you that a lot of advice that people give you about writing is just bullshit and he doesn't (laughs) he doesn't want to be like that so He just kind of tells it to you straight, and I like that. (laughs) This entire book throughout, his voice is very present. Like, if you read a lot of Stephen King, you get a feel for what his 
authorial voice is like mm-hmm. and it is very 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 strong <laughs> here <laughs> which is a joy um and i've also listened to the audiobook version of this which he reads himself oh, which is an fun. extra layer of good so i, I also highly recommend that hearing him talk about his life and his own voice is really fun yeah do you think that this is a book that people would find interesting even if they're not interested in writing and like yeah i think if you're interested in stephen king it's Mm -hmm. definitely an interesting book to pick up because he chronicles not just his childhood but a lot of his early career where he had you know his main teaching job and then also side jobs where he worked in an industrial laundry and Mm barely could find time to do his writing and he and Tabitha were just scraping by trying to raise their kids and his desk was next to the washing machine and all of these different stories about his first attempts at writing and Mm -hmm. sending away short stories and the rejection letters he received and the small pieces of advice he got and how to deal with rejection. I mean, that's yeah. something that anyone can use advice on. So that's a an element that I really enjoyed hearing him speak and write about is the continuing relationship with rejection when you're a writer. And something that I think was also really special that I don't think I would know about if I hadn't read this book was the instrumental behind the scenes contributions that Tabitha, his wife, has made to his career. She's also a writer and there's a really great story in the book where he talks about, you know, these um, sort of that era where They were just scraping by and they had two small children and they were barely making enough money and he had a really hard time finding time to write and was debating about whether he wanted to pick up some extra responsibility to make a little bit more money. But Tabitha was like, well, how are you going to have time to write if you take on that extra responsibility? Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I won't. So... I'll have to put that off and she was basically like don't take that extra thing like you need to keep writing and so he that's what he did and after that he wound up starting the manuscript for the book Carrie which was Mm. his first that was his breakout hit basically that Mm -hmm. was the novel that single-handedly launched his career essentially like he published short stories in other um magazines and stuff beforehand but Carrie is what really made his career or jump-started his career I guess you could say Mm -hmm. and he started that manuscript and wrote a few pages and hated it and threw it in the trash (laughs) (laughs) and it was like this fucking sucks I don't know how to write from a woman's perspective. I give up and threw it away. And Tabitha found 
the pages in the garbage and uncrumpled them and read them and waited for him to get home and was like, Steve, I think this could be something. I'll help you understand women. <laughs> <laughs> or like being a woman, I should say. <laughs> and kind of like coached him through that. And obviously he went on to actually write Carrie mm-hmm. and it was a huge success and that wouldn't have happened if she didn't fucking take those pages out of the garbage yeah like we might not know Stephen King at all oh. if she hadn't have done that that's in that's incredible she sounds cool yeah she is cool um and he also talks about a lot of other milestone events that Stephen King fans might already have some idea of but he goes into much more detail about it here so he talks about like the period of his life where he was abusing drugs and alcohol and Mm -hmm. writing and that was really interesting like he talks about how there's entire books that he doesn't remember writing like I don't think he remembers writing Cujo was one of the examples the one about the dog but it was i i think he listed a few where he Mm. couldn't remember all or part of it and how you know obviously that was taxing on his body and his relationships and all of those things Mm -hmm. um and how he worked his way out of that lifestyle but he also touches on the accident that he nearly died in there was um an accident where he was hit by a car when he Mm. was walking along the road in maine a number of years ago and came very close to dying and talked about that event in a lot of detail but also in his recovery from that and Mm. how his relationship with writing was altered through that Mm. experience Um, So you get a lot of insight into a lot of these important events, and I I just think he's such a fascinating person that I find all these really um, personal details really interesting. It must also be interesting as a fan of Stephen King novels to see areas where he might have drawn inspiration for his characters and things like that. For example, like you were talking about how he had like a teaching job and was like trying to make ends meet to raise his kids and Mm -hmm. eventually started abusing drugs and alcohol. And all of those things make me think of um, The Shining and like Jack Torrance, Mm -hmm. um, who is one of the best written Stephen King characters yeah, definitely having the context of his life experiences would kind of line up with some of his books. Yeah, and that ties into uh, a portion that I was rereading today where he talks about the nature of inspiration mm. and where he gets inspiration from his for his stories and books. And basically, he said, I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, there's not some a mental repository that he can go to to mm-hmm. pick out an idea. He just has to wait for 
inspiration to strike him in the sense that two seemingly disparate concepts merge in his brain Mm -hmm. and he has to recognize that that is an idea and then seize it so Mm. it's I think when people think about his creative process because he's been such a prolific writer and has published so many stories they must think oh he must just have like this laundry list of ideas that he keeps in his brain and he just moves on to the next one every time he completes a project and Mm -hmm. it definitely doesn't seem to be the case he just Mm -hmm. got really good at recognizing an idea when it crosses his path essentially which I think I really like that because it means that that's a skill you can cultivate and you don't Mm -hmm. need to have some inherent uh, aptitude for having this reservoir of plot lines in your brain like it's something that anyone can do and that's something he says in the book he says he thinks that most people have the ability to be a writer you just Mm -hmm. that most people have the talent and you just have to practice and hone that and Mm -hmm. that's something that is common between a lot of the the books I've been reading about writing lately where whether it's by authors or other types of storytellers the basic thesis is that most people if not all people are capable of doing this it's just Mm -hmm. whether you cultivate it or not yeah and it's hard right like it's hard to know how to structure a story and like you have to be patient and maybe have that encouragement when you want to ball it up and throw it in the trash and sure have someone tell you that like no this is actually good like you have to have a support system yeah and Stephen makes it clear that a lot of things have to go right and a lot Mm -hmm. of it is luck related yeah but I guess what I'm saying is I like that all of these people are agreeing that you that a great writers aren't like forged in the cradle mm-hmm. most people can do it if they choose to and whether you get lucky and are successful or not is another thing but just because you aren't born with some implicit writing talent doesn't mean you can't try does that make sense yeah definitely that's nice i like that advice yeah it's a very unpretentious book Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is anecdotally driven. And I like that. It's not like a technical manual or anything like that. And you just get to find out a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff. Like how Stephen King was in a band with a bunch of other writers. And (laughs) they were originally just going to do that as like a a one-off performance for like a book convention but then (laughs) they all enjoyed it so much they just kept doing it (laughs) for fun and just cool stuff like that I definitely recommend it even if you have no idea who Stephen King is I think a lot of these stories are interesting enough that Mm. anyone could read this and still appreciate it yeah what's your favorite Stephen King book that's a good question. Um, I haven't or read adaptation. 
Yeah. Or adaptation. Um, like that's movie. a completely different question. Mm. <laughs> um, I will say the book. I don't know if I could pin down a favorite, but I think mm-hmm. the one that I recommend to people the most because I don't see it getting hyped a lot is a specific short story collection. He has a lot of short story collections and a lot of those individual short stories have been adapted into films and series. Uh, One collection that I particularly like is called Everything's Eventual. And I think people sleep on that one, which, which is why I want to point it out. I think it's great. I think that one kicks off with The Man in the Black Suit, which is a great short story. But it yeah. contains the story 1408, which yes. was adapted into that movie with John Cusack. Yes, I've been meaning to read that. You've recommended that to me multiple times. And then immediately uh, after we stop talking, it leaves my brain. Oh, we were going to talk about what is your favorite adaptation of a Stephen King into a other format, movie, TV show. Yeah. Um, hmm. I hesitate because I know you disagree, but I, I think The Shining is an excellent, excellent, excellent film. And so that's fair. Have you read the book? Um, not in a long time. Oh, okay. I started Um, rereading it mm, like a year or two ago and I was like, mm. this is closer than I remember. So Hmm. I don't know. I think I do need to rewatch it. Like, I still haven't gotten around to watching it as, like, a full adult. I think I haven't <laughs> seen it since I was, like, 12. And so my impression of The Shining is, like, a 12-year-old's impression <laughs> of the film. When I was 12. I mm. was like, this is a great film. <laughs> I will say that, like, I don't think you get the love that Jack feels for his family in Mm. the movie very much. Like you don't get to see the true fatherly moments that the book shows you, which we've kind of touched on before when we talked about horror store is that like Stephen King's books are so long because you get to like know his characters so personally through the exposition And he does a beautiful job writing exposition. And I just don't think it translates so well into a film adaptation, personally. Yeah, I'm interested to see what you would think now, rewatching the film. Aside from that, I think Pound for Pound, one of the closest, like, truest adaptations in terms of the original source material. Mm Mm-hmm. And the, a good quality adaptation from that is The Shawshank Redemption. It's, oh. That's a short story in the collection Different Seasons. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's exactly the same, essentially, as the mm. film. And I love that film. That was probably my favorite film for a number of years when I was like, 12 to 15, I would say. I've never seen it. Oh, you should see that. I know. 
Yeah, that's the same collection of stories that Stand By Me is derived from. Do you know the film Stand By Me? The one about the kids? Yeah. I didn't know that was Stephen King Yeah, that's Stephen King. Same book, (laughs) same collection. That's so wild. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I that struck me as a really faithful adaptation Mm. I just think short stories are a a better length for adapting into film Mm -hmm. and that's why a lot of adaptations aren't as successful because his novels are so long that's Mm -hmm. a lot like you're hacking out a lot of detail yeah to fit that into a feature length film Mm mm-hmm uh, which is why something like Shawshank Redemption, which might be, I don't know, 80 pages perhaps, it's a perfect film length. Yeah. Without missing anything and without adding anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more adaptation that I think is noteworthy is also The Dead Zone. I slept on that one for a while and then watched the film. It stars mm-hmm. Christopher Walken. And... Mm. It just really hits different nowadays, <laughs> and I definitely recommend it. It gives you, I don't know, there's a lot, there's a lot of parallels with U.S. politics. Oh, um, okay. So, yeah, it's yeah. Really I've never seen that or read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got to do our overlap now. Our, yes, our friend diagram, and I would say that one thing that I brought up about the album um, that I think fits with this book is that there is uh, a little something for everyone, I think. A little something that everyone could find interesting or relate to. Yeah, I think it's an easy comparison (laughs) in that the central, the core component of both pieces is storytelling. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes your album that was the most salient feature to me was that it was so heavy on the storytelling mm-hmm. that it almost bridged into a different type of media. Yeah. And obviously that's central to the book in that Stephen King is telling you stories from his life to illustrate different points and give you insight into him as a person, but then obviously give you advice as well on how to do your own storytelling. So. Mm-hmm. In terms of general core components, I think that's the most um, salient feature of both of these. Pieces. Yeah, definitely. We did it. Got it. Is that satisfying enough? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that hits the nail right on the head. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.